the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I hope you're having a great Friday. I like to say good Friday just because, well, that's an important day for us. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is call us, 340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. If you're out Outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. Uh, you can use our Calvary Chapel mobile app or you can email your question to questions at calvarysa.com. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands free and you will be safe. Um, hope you're having a really, really great day. I am coming to you again from the beautiful resort, uh, the Wickishaw Chickasaw Conference Center and Conference and Retreat Center in Sulphur, Oklahoma. My, my mouth isn't working today. Uh, and uh, we've had a great day. We're getting ready to start our uh, marriage retreat tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, keep Paula in your prayers. She appears to have come down with either an allergy attack or a small cold coming up. But uh, she's going to be doing some speaking tonight uh, and tomorrow. So please keep her in your prayers. Uh, I pray that the Lord's Spirit would move upon people here. Um, we, we met a lot of the people last Last night, we had a dinner at uh, a Mexican food restaurant here in Sulphur, Oklahoma. Not what you would expect to find, but that's what we found. And uh, we hope that the Lord really moves. Hey, a couple of things going on back home in San Antonio at Calvary Chapel tonight. Uh, Pastor Matt Blanton will be filling in for me uh, as a wonderful teacher, and you will be blessed. Uh, of course, our regular weekend stuff, our Saturday morning prayer uh, is uh, scheduled, goes on as scheduled. Pastor Ken and May will be there tomorrow uh, because Paul and I will be here. But we would love to have... Uh, uh, have you joined them for prayers? And if you're doing that, you might pray for us a little bit while you're there. Uh, and then on Sunday, Pastor Ken will be teaching in my place while I'll be here at uh, Calvary Chapel in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, teaching uh, at the end of our conference. Okay, well, let's go right to the phones. We've got Dustin on line one from uh, Lano, Texas. Dustin, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Um I mean, you know I'm a big fan of yours, so, you know, I come to you when I need some advice. Um, I have been having problems with anger and not letting anger go. Um, can you help me out, please? I'm, like, it's, I'm, I'm having trouble, like, not letting anger go and 
God has been saying no to me on things about like who I should date and things like that. So everywhere I'm turning, I'm getting no, 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 no. And everywhere I look, I just want to say yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm feeling frustrated. Yeah, Dustin, I, I feel your pain. I think that describes where a lot of us are as Christians. A couple of things. The first thing to remember is that, that your problem is an anger. Uh, anger is simply a symptom of, of you and God not wanting the same things. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But um, let me direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where the Bible says that no temptation is seized you accept that which is common to man. I'm going to break this up because I have a comment on each part of this, this verse. But Dustin, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is one that you ought to memorize. It's one of those passages of Scripture that by faith you can say, okay, God, you mean this for me. And when he says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, what that means, Dustin, is that uh, there's a lot of people who are going through or have gone through exactly what you're going through every single day. So it's not something that's unique. You're not all alone out there. There's a ton of people. And wherever it is that you go to church, Dustin, and you need to be in a, a church body, a healthy, vibrant church body, you need to be serving that body, letting God replace your desires with his desires. And so if other people are going through it in your church body, there are other people who can comfort you, who can offer you some encouragement. And then the next four words, Dustin, in that verse are the, the most critical of all. And God is faithful. It doesn't say Dustin is faithful. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So in other words, the struggle that you're going through is a temptation that God has allowed in your life at this time. And he's using it because you need it. You know, one thing for sure, Dustin, that our uh, our flesh always needs to hear is no god is using the desires in your heart that oppose the desires in his heart for you to make you more like him and if he says to you that that i've allowed this temptation and you can bear it then you recognize the goodness of god in so far as um he's using it to make you more like him every day and if you really understand that, he won't let you be tempted. It means that you can overcome it. And you do that by the power of God's Spirit. More on that in a moment. It also says in that same verse, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, that when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So let's go to the basic foundation here, Dustin. When you want something and God says no, you've got to get to that place where your thinking changes. God, I want this, or I want to date this person, to use your example. But what I really want is your will to be done. And that's when, like Jesus, we have to pray, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. And so, God, I, I'm in, uh, attracted to this person. I'd like to date her. But your will, not my will, be done. And that way you're putting your prayer in the place where God can bless it. Then you need to remember that when you find yourself getting angry, I told you earlier, that's a symptom. You get angry because you realize that you and God don't want the same things. And then you have got to, to, to be honest enough to confess, say, Lord, that's sin. And then the Holy Spirit can take over. As long as you insist on getting your way, then you're not walking according to the Spirit. You're walking according to the flesh. And as contradictory as this might sound, your flesh is no match for your flesh. You can't in your own strength even want what God wants, let alone do what God wants. So, Dustin, here's what you do. You simply say, Lord, what I want in my life is only what you want for me. And so, Jesus, help me to know what that is. Now, here's a couple of practical suggestions to help you learn what that is. The first is you've got to identify that which is flesh versus that which is spirit. 
Dustin, I'm not here with my my Bible, my computer today, so uh, I, I I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Uh, read Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 19, go all the way through verse 23, and you're going to see two distinct areas. One is the fruit of the flesh; it's bad fruit of the flesh. Anger is listed in that. I say that so that every time you begin to get angry, you know that's your flesh. And then you can say, okay, I need to die to my flesh. I need to die to my flesh so I can say yes to Jesus. I'm going to say no to me. And then you can read, beginning in verse 22, the good fruit of the Spirit. And that's the way that we approach living our lives in a way that honors the Lord. So, Dustin, I hope that helps. I'll be praying for you. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's take a call from Clara online, too, from San Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well, Clara. Thank you. Oh, that's good. Um, thank you for taking my call. So um, mm-hmm. I, um, I've been listening to you for a while now, and I just had a couple of questions because um, lately uh, my husband and I met a gentleman who was doing some work for us there at the house some mortar work and um, he was talking to us about Jesus and so my husband and I were very intrigued you know anybody who wants to talk to us about God you know we're happy to receive and so um, he essentially told us a couple of things that we just were not sure of and so my husband okay. continued to talk to him just kind of testing the spirits uh, because you know we wanted to know exactly where he was coming from but he said a couple things that I was a little bit confused about and I don't know if you can answer these but here they are so he was essentially he told us that our child so that that so that there's essentially generational sin and um that our child was not born with sin because my husband and i were already believers when he was born and when we conceived but that children are born with sin uh, or that there's children who are born with sin because of their parents for example, like if mm-hmm. they were not married, you know, before um, they had them. And so he was saying that it was important for us to essentially get anointed with like oil and just to anoint still like our home and ourselves and our child. Um, because also like the oil, like he said that it was the Holy Spirit. And we were like, well, is it more like, is it just a representation, like symbolic of the Holy Spirit? And he was like, no, this is this is the Holy Spirit. It is with faith that you anoint them. And so he asked to just like to pray over us and to anoint us with it. And he said that he was able to see that like our child was, I guess like there was that there was like a demon that was like a, not attached but like kind of hovering over him and he said the same thing about our neighbor and that after the prayer that he literally saw the demon kind of leave and I said well if my child you said that my child like was not born with sin because we were already believers why is there a demon like hovering over him and scaring him my child is um, going to be eight months in a few days and so he said, yeah. it's because if you're hanging around people, for example, who are not believers, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, in the, you know, there's a spiritual realm. He's like, you're, the fight is not in person. It's not flesh. It's all like spiritually. There's demons around. And so he met my mom and my mom actually like refused like prayer. She actually said, no, I don't want to say like, she just did not want to say that like the Lord is her savior. My mom is still not a believer. And so he said, it might be that there's like demons around her hovering. And so if she's around here, then, you know, they kind of like drop off demons. And so even though this child is not possessed, he said, I could see that the demon is like hovering around him and doesn't leave him alone. And so he just like asked to pray for our child. And he said, oh, like the demon literally just like left him and now your child is going to be fine. So there was just a lot of, you know, a, a lot of... Uh, a lot that kind of came with it um and he professes like the lord you know the, the jesus is his lord and savior and that and he also says that like the lord has given him this gift of seeing you know uh, uh or seeing like demons and like spirituality he's very like 
spiritual in that sense, very sensitive. And so, like, he did a prayer with, like, my next-door neighbor, and he was, like, he literally saw her and was, like, there is someone who did witchcraft on you, and I can see the demon. He asked to pray in the name of Jesus, and he said that, like, literally the demon left her. And so yeah, I guess clear, my question help you. is, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I, 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 yeah, I, I've got this. You know, you'd be better off, and your husband was wise to test the spirits. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be better off to tell him, how about you stick to mortaring, Get the work that we're paying you to get done done, and then we'll go our separate ways. This is a guy who uh, is um, uh, part of some wild charismatic church movement, uh, and there's no basis of truth. You know, the only parent we inherit sin from is our federal father, Adam. Uh, because he sinned, we all inherited his sin nature. So you were right at the very beginning. Everybody is born with sin nature. The, the tiniest, cutest, most precious of babies has inherited the sin nature. And babies, when you have them, it usually takes them just a few hours to prove that they have a sin nature. They are relentless. And um, um, it has nothing to do with demons. It's a sin nature that we're all born with. Uh, the idea, the, the whole idea about generational curses or generational demons uh, is, is anti-biblical nonsense. It's caused a lot of damage in a lot of people's lives. Um, uh, the, 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 the things that he's telling you about what he can do or what he sees, uh, they're just not true. And this is a time when either you correct him and and as the spirit leads, you can do that. But but or you just end your relationship with him, get him done out of the house. But don't let him plant those lies in your heart. You've got an eight month old baby at home. Imagine uh, a, 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 a mother who wasn't as discerning as you being told that, and imagine the damage that it could do. So if this guy was really able to discern spirits, then First uh, John chapter four verse one says, "Brothers, test the spirits. Not every spirit is from God." He would understand that that his judging your house, your mother, your neighbors, those kind of things is in violation of that. So as your husband tests the spirit, all that you have to do is remember that that what he is trying to convince you of extra biblical nonsense. So let me, I want to be really clear about this because I don't want there to be any opening for the enemy to mess with you. Uh, Generational sin uh, has nothing to do with the parents. Um, Each one of us is chastised or punished for our own sin. We're not punished for our parents' sin or for our other relatives or family members' sin. We're, We're only disciplined or chastised by God for our own sin. And um, um, there, there, again, there's been so much damage caused by this kind of really, really horrible teaching. Um, your baby inherited sin. John chapter three says that we're condemned already when we're born. That means we're we we're given life. We're on our way to hell. Jesus Christ is the only answer for that. That's why you and your husband um, are going to raise this child to know who Jesus is and and to love him to set an example for him. That when your child uh, is old enough to make his own or her own decisions, um, then then obviously they'll want mommy and daddy's Jesus because they see how real he is in your lives. So um, that's really important. Secondly, um, the, the, the lie that the oil is the Holy Spirit is nonsense. It's simply um, a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. As New Testament Christians, you know, we don't drench our our leaders, our pastors and elders in oil anymore. We simply anoint them with oil as a symbol of this is the Spirit of God calling them to do this very thing. So um, just from top to bottom, Clara, his... Um, Theology, his doctrine uh, is dangerous, it's harmful to others, and he doesn't believe uh, or he doesn't even know what he believes, let alone believing anything that has any value at all. So this is a, a young, when I say young, I don't mean chronological age, but but he is an immature Christian uh, who uh, really doesn't know anything at all. Now, there's a good chance he's really saved. Uh, but he's going to a church that's teaching a whole bunch of really, really bad stuff. And you would do well uh, after letting him know that, you know, the things that you said just aren't true. 
And so either we we need you to repent or we don't want to talk to you about these things anymore. Well, if you do that, he's probably going to say, well, see, there is that demon cloud over here. That just doesn't happen. God has you, your husband. God has your baby. And uh, believe me, the Spirit of God working in and through you uh, is more powerful than than any pretend spirit that's hovering around. So don't worry about it. It's dangerous doctrine. And these are the kind of things that we simply don't listen to. Clara, thank you very much for the phone call. I appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We have a call holding Scott on line one from San Antonio. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Hi, Scott. Good to hear from you. Uh, I was listening. Actually, I think one of your pre- one of your preaching or sermons on uh, Acts uh, seventeen. I think it was the second half. But the question came to mind while I was listening to that, and it kind of I think it falls into uh, how you say uh, you stop talking when people stop listening. But I just wanted to get your your view on this, and it's the difference or where it changes from. Um, arguing or um, um, what was it? I can't even think of the word now. Um, from the scripture, or reasoning from the scriptures. Yeah. Um, kind of the difference between those two, or where it goes from reasoning and actually turns into arguing. And uh, yeah, I just listened to your answer. Thank you, Scott. That's a great question. Important to differentiate because we all are telling people about Jesus all the time. Let me tell you a very quick story. Yesterday on the airplane coming from San Antonio to Houston to make our first connection up here to Oklahoma City, um, Paula was was sitting next to a man named Alex. And uh, he was kind of talkative. He, 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 Paul is usually the one that initiates the conversations, but this time uh, he, he just lets know if, if, you know, if you don't mind, I like to talk. And um, so uh, Paula was talking to him about Jesus. She was sitting in the middle between him and me. And um, so she was talking about Jesus and she said, well, well, Alex, you don't sound like you're a Christian. And, and yet he was quoting Bible verses and Paula looked at him at one point in the conversation. She looked at him and she said, Alex, you're pretty pretty accountable. I mean, you you know things. You're accountable to believe in Jesus Christ. And he sort of just shined it on a little bit. But but my point is that as long as he was listening, the conversation was productive. Um, on, in the Areopagus, when Paul was at Mars Hill, uh, he was reasoning through the scriptures with them. But at some point, they didn't want to hear, and he stopped speaking to them. So I think we all have the discernment to know when that is. Uh, when somebody wants to argue, when they start asking dishonest questions, it's just a time to sort of um, wipe your hands of them and go on to more fruitful ground. Jesus said to, not to cast your pearls before swine. And I think that's what he was referring to. We want to talk to people about Jesus. We'll all deal with all of the honest questions in the world. But when people stop asking dishonest questions like, well, why does God allow evil? Now, for a brand new person hearing about Jesus for the first time, that's an honest question. Well, if God is good, but but when somebody who just wants to sin, and you've had this conversation with them, well, I just can't accept a, a loving God who would send anybody to hell, those kind of questions. Those aren't, aren't, aren't honest questions. And there's very little value gained by arguing with them. So, Scott, I think the difference is between um, reasoning through the Scriptures, and we should all do that. But remember, to reason through the Scriptures with somebody, they've got to be on the same page as you are regarding what the Scriptures say. Are the Scriptures the Word of God, or are the Scriptures just a book written by men? And when we make that decision, and you're talking with somebody, you're going to very easily be able to to, to identify who or what um, or where this person is headed. So I think we want to reason as much as possible. We want to take all questions on. I have a, a young man in the church who's uh, asking me, well, well, you always say it's not okay to question God, but I think it's okay to question everything. Why can't I question God? And I explained to him, Scott, that the difference between asking God questions and questioning God comes from a deep, dark place in the heart. God is big. He can take any questions that we have for him, and there are answers. When somebody says, well, I question this, or I question God's love, I question God's goodness, um, and they don't have any interest in finding out, uh, 
what the source of his power or the source of his goodness is, well, then we're, we're dealing with somebody who simply is being unreasonable. So we reason as much as we can, but when we can no longer reason, then we simply stop talking and we go on to, to greener pastures. I hope that makes sense to you, Scott. Thank you very, very much. Let me see. I think I can get one more question before we get to uh, the break. Uh, Glenn wants to know, is complementarianism essential to salvation? Glenn, it's not. Complementarianism means um, male headship. Uh, for example, women are not permitted to be pastors or preachers uh, in the assembly. Uh, egalitarianism, which is the other end of that scale, means, oh, no, we're all equal. We can all do things. Well, complementarianism is said that the husband's ahead of the wife. Now, we're talking about Christian homes and that the pastor must be a male and he's the head of the, the, the church uh, under, of course, Jesus's ultimate headship. Uh, it is a non-essential doctrine. Now, it has great practical import. Um, you're either going to be in a church that's blessed by God because you're doing things according to uh, his standard, or you're going to be in rebellion against God. So a, a church that has a woman pastor is a church that's settling for less than God's best. That's a church that, that the people that go there are settling for less than God's best. But it doesn't mean they're not saved. It is not an essential in terms of salvation. So it's really important, Glenn, to understand the difference. Um, people are free to disagree without affecting their salvation, but they're not free to disagree with God's way of doing things if they want the power of God and the benefits of the Holy Spirit and the benefits of God's blessing on the church or their life. So I hope that makes sense to you. Glenn, thank you very, very much. We've got 30 minutes left in our week. I am coming to you from Oklahoma. Never thought I'd say that. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Robert, and this comes from the marriage conference that we are about to do. Robert wants to talk about the difference between male and female's instincts uh, regarding uh, why it seems that women know better how to treat their spouse spouses than men do, um, why women um, are more tender, more discerning, um, just more sensitive to the needs of a spouse than men are. And my, my first response is because men are jerks. I mean, we're selfish jerks. Um, you know, we've sort of been taught that, that uh, what a man is supposed to be. And, and you, you know, Robert, the, the, the idea of, of how to be a man is so perverted in the world that we live in. We just don't know. We're, we're raised. My dad used to tell me, Ronnie, don't cry. Uh, when I was playing sports, if I'd get hurt, he would, he'd cry. He had a big Marine DI voice. He'd say, Ronnie, don't rub it. The idea is you got to be tough. You can't show any weakness at all. And that is contrary to the instinct that we have to have if, in fact, we want to rightly represent Jesus. Now, I think women's flesh is just as bad as men's flesh, but call it a, a nurturing instinct that women have. Women and men certainly are different. Uh, I don't know, but, but the, the thing that we have to remember is that in our flesh is nothing good, and when we're functioning according to the flesh, we're going to mess everything up. So if we're going to be men of God, and one of the sessions that I'm going to do tomorrow, uh, we're going to take, I think, our third session and break out women and men separately. And, uh, you know, I always laugh when I do this because Paula's got the ladies cracking up and we can usually hear them laughing their clothes. And it's like deadly silence in the men's thing because I want them to understand the responsibilities of what headship is all about. 
So uh, I just think it's a matter of how we deal with our flesh. If we are going to be men of God, then we have to model God himself. And Jesus, of course, is the one who teaches us how to be a man, teaches us how to respond, following his example, the example that he set for all of us. You know, there is a line, and and I'm not quite sure this is exactly what Pilate meant, but I've always taken it this way. It's in the King James when when uh, Pilate is asking the Jews um, to, to release Jesus, he, he's pronounced him innocent, and uh, Jesus won't defend himself. And he's been beaten, and he's now on his way to the cross, but Pilate sets the Jews before him, or sets Jesus before the Jewish audience. Shall I release to you Barabbas, or shall I release to you Jesus, who is called the Christ? And um, and they, they shout for Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And, and Pilate looks at the crowd and points to Jesus and says, Behold the man. That's the King James. Behold the man. We who are men need to behold the man of God, the man who was God. We need to be sensitive. We need to be tender. We need to be tough. The world is tough, and we need to be tough when, in fact, that's called for. But too many of us are unyielding. Our idea of tough has nothing to do uh, with with really what toughness is all about. So, um, Robert, it's just one of those things. Our instincts are bad. They're self-centered rather than Christ-centered. And unless we renew our minds, and the only way to do that is in the Word of God, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, then we're always going to be looking to the world for examples of what manhood is. And the, the, the reality remains that, that the only man that matters, the only man that has set an example of what being a man really is all about is Jesus. And we need to be like him. Love is patient, love is kind, and all that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says. Uh, we've got to be men that demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. These are all things that will help us become a man. On Sunday, in the message that I'm doing at Calvary Chapel in Norman, Oklahoma, um, I'm going to be teaching from Second Peter. I'm going to talk about all the things that we add to our faith. And that's how we become a man after Jesus' own heart. You've got to realize that your heart is dirty, it's ugly, and anytime your flesh is involved, it's going to be um, um, unfruitful. And then you realize that in the power of the Spirit, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And then His instincts are given to us. We quench the Spirit, our flesh takes over, we embrace the Spirit, and Jesus wins. So that's, I thought we're going to be talking a lot about those very things in the marriage conference this weekend. Thank you for that question, Robert. Nathan asked the question. He says, I've heard of Muslims who have dreams where Jesus appears to them. Are they legitimate? Um, Nathan, um, uh, there's no reason to suggest they're not. Um, you might say, well, why does he appear to Muslims and he doesn't appear to 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 us here in this country? Uh, the answer is simple. Muslims, when they convert from their faith to a faith in Jesus Christ, they risk their lives. Literally, they are going to going to be cast out. Many times, they're going to be stoned to death. And um, you know, Jesus appears to them and 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 says, "Come to me." And when they make that decision, they got to know that it's real because they're risking everything—family, friends, even life—is in peril. And so Jesus just appears to them with a greater certainty. The reason that doesn't happen here, Nathan is because of what we talked about in the first half of the program. Uh, we in the United States ask him questions that aren't honest at all. Well, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? God, if God is a God of love, why am I going through hard things? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Those aren't honest questions. You know, we have Jesus everywhere. Everywhere. We're sitting here at a resort looking out over. I'm, I'm located sort of in a room with a window view. Um, that looks like the only mountain in Oklahoma. For a 360 degree view, we can see for miles and miles and miles. Um, you look at this country and you think, God did this. Look how powerful God is. 
And then in the United States, we worry about global warming. So here's, these are the things, and, and, and there's biblical precedence for Jesus appearing to people, so there's no way that we can say that an appearance of Jesus in a dream or in a vision, and that's what it would be, Nathan, there's no way that we can say that that is not legitimate. Um, what is illegitimate is in this country when people say, oh, Jesus came and talked to me in my room, and Jesus showed me heaven and all those things. That is not legitimate. But uh, in in cases in countries where Jesus appears to people, it's because they're going to lose their lives uh, if they, if they uh, convert. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to our friend in Seguin on line one, Ruben. Ruben, good to hear from you. How are you doing? I am doing well, Pastor Ron. How are you and Mama Paula doing? We're doing well, Ruben. She's got an, an allergy attack here in Oklahoma, and she's speaking tonight and tomorrow. So keep her in your prayers. I'd appreciate it. Yes, sir. In the name of Jesus, it shall be healed, and that's allergies will be cleared up. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Ruben. Uh, yes, I, I I don't have a scriptural question per se. Um, I just uh, would like to, and, I, and if you can't answer it or won't answer it, that's okay. But what's going on right now in Israel and Gaza, I believe. Um, can you help me understand, uh, you know, I, I've heard some people say that it's biblical, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll try to Google it, you know, hey, Google, what does it say about Israel and Gaza in the Bible, but nothing ever comes up. Um, is what's going on right now scriptural or biblical, and what is going on right now, if you can answer it, if that make, made any sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I can answer that, I think, for you, Ruben. Um, whether or not it's scriptural prophetically, with, with the prophetic uh, import, is yet to be seen. We don't know if this is just another skirmish. Uh, this part of the world is is filled with these kind of skirmishes, has been from the beginning of time and will continue to be. Uh, but this one seems to have a little more depth to it. And without, I, I don't want to be accused of reading the Bible with one hand and the newspaper with the, with the other hand. But what we've got, Reuben, is we've got a dispute. We've got the whole world lined up against Israel, supporting the Palestinians. Now, the Palestinians have no right to land in Israel. Um, this land was given by God to Israel. Uh, it, it was always intended for Israel. It will be Israel's again. And and in their own homeland, they are constantly coming under terrorist attack. Hamas is launching missiles, um, um, attacks. Uh, they're relentless. Uh, when Israel strikes back, uh, they're screaming about the civilian casualties in spite of the fact that uh, Hamas is is locating their missiles and their weapons uh, in civilian locations using humans, civilians as human shields. And so the whole world is saying, well, see, Israel is firing back and people are innocent, people are getting hurt. That's all the fault of Hamas. Now, when we talk about the West Bank, uh, where the Palestinians claim is is theirs. We're talking about Bethlehem as an example. I mean, that's the birthplace of Jesus. It's the birthplace of David. And they're laying claim to it. And it never will be theirs. It was given by God to Israel, and it will remain Israel's. Now, the the prophetic import of this is if this develops beyond the skirmish. Now, right now, uh, and I, I haven't read that we, we get very slow Wi-Fi here, but um, I was reading uh, part until the Wi-Fi went out that um, uh, there is an uneasy treaty right now, a ceasefire that is existing. Um, it will be uh, the Palestinians who break it. Um, but here's what we've seen in the last couple of days. We've seen Russia enter into the politicization of this skirmish. Now, that could be significant. All you have to do is read Ezekiel chapters 37, 38, and 39, and you see Russia, Gog, and Magog. Um, you'll see uh, Russia getting involved, and they have been very direct with Israel, warning them that there will be consequences for continued hostilities. 
Now, there isn't another country in the world that wouldn't protect themselves, but Israel somehow doesn't. My final thought on this, Reuben, is this. Um, dig deep and read between the lines. Read uh, media sources um, from Israel as well as the media sources in this country because the media in the United States is anti-Israel. And because it's anti-Israel, they're always painting a picture like everything that happens bad is Israel's fault. And, and sadly, that attitude is infecting even some of the professing church of Jesus Christ, uh, who ought to be in 100% support of Israel all the time. Now, it doesn't mean that Jews are saved. It doesn't mean that they're a godly nation. None of that has to be the case. What it means is that, that this is the land God gave to Abraham, a founding father of Judaism, but also Christianity, also Islam. They claim that he is their founder as well. Well, that's why so much here is at stake. So what we do is we pray for the peace of Israel. We know that's only going to happen when Jesus comes back. In the meantime, we we understand that the media is painting a picture of Israel as though it alone is responsible for the hostility there, and that's simply not the case. Ruben, good to hear from you. It's always great. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Converse, Texas now and talk with Jesse online, too. Jesse, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I just had a quick question, and uh, I'll hang up and then I'll listen. Can you speak a little to a little bit to, um, uh, as far as salvation, do do we have any say-so? Do we have a free will, or, or does God just determine, God chooses who gets saved and who does not get saved? Uh, again, I'll, I'll hang up and I'll listen, sir. Thank you, Jesse. I can do that. The answer to the question is yes, we do have free will, and we have to exercise it. Um, but we are also chosen by God, and God chooses us. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, indicates that the basis of God's choice of us is his foreknowledge. Now picture it this way, you're at a parade and you're in a crowd and you can only see, because the crowd is so big, you can only see that part of the parade that passes directly in front of you. But imagine if you were in the Goodyear blimp and you were a thousand feet in the air, you could see the entire parade route. So you could see the beginning of the parade route and the end of the parade route. It would all be the same to you. Well, Jesse, that's God's his vantage point. He knows everything. He lives in the present. He is the I am, not the I was or the I will be. He's the I am. And it is true that God knows who is going to choose him. Romans 8.29, Jesse, for me, is a very special verse. Um, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the Pastor Ron paraphrase, because what it says is, is, Ron, no matter how much you grieve my heart, no matter how much pain you cause to Paula, who I call precious, no matter how, how big a jerk you are, I'm going to love you and there's nothing you can do that's so bad that's going to change my mind. Now, the reason he said that, Jesse, is because he knew that there was a day in February of 1991 when I was going to become his family. So God set his love upon me from before the foundations of the world, but he left that love set upon me because he knows that in that day in 1991, I was going to become his. Now, the same thing is true for the person who says, I don't want anything to do with God, and God knows that he or she is never going to choose God. God loves them, for God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, the whole world. But at the same time, Jesse, God knows that he's not going to be able to, to, to love him in the same way that he's able to love you or me. So we do have free will. Now, what you're dealing with is the difference from a biblical perspective or systematic theology. Calvinism would, would indicate that we don't have free will. God is in control of everything. He makes things happen. Um, the balance in Scripture, Jesse, is that God doesn't make anything happen. He doesn't cause anything to happen. He just knows what's going to happen. So yes, I had to choose him. You have to choose him. We do that of our own free will. If there is no free will, then there is no love. If you went to your wife and you said, woman, you have to love me on threat of destruction, that wouldn't be love at all. Well, Jesus gives us a choice, and he honors the choice that we make 
while we are alive in this world, it's appointed unto men once to die and then face judgment, Hebrews 9.27. And he honors that choice in eternity. So we have free will. We have to make the choice. By the way, Jesse, angels also had free will. When Lucifer fell, he was able to deceive a third of the angels in heaven. They had a choice to make. The only difference between angels and us is theirs was a once-forever choice. Today, we make a bad choice. We can repent and make a, the right choice tomorrow. But, but God never forces anybody to love him. We always have a choice. We call that free will. And uh, any other way wouldn't be loving at all. Jesse, thank you for that. I appreciate the question. Let's go to Harold on line three from San Antonio. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. It's Harold. Yes. Hi, uh, Harold. I have a, hi, I have a, uh, a couple of questions uh, or comments. You know, all throughout the Bible, you I read where God has given people thrones, uh, King David, Solomon, and then they end up having to fight for it and, you know, to keep it. And now in this modern time, of course, God gave uh, Israel to the people of Israel, and now... They're, they still have to fight for it. It seems like anything connected, I'm not against it, anything connected with God, it's not a clean slate where where the work is over. And I was reading uh, just uh, for a few minutes here er, earlier, Matthew chapter 4, verse maybe 3, where, you know, the Satan, you know, after Jesus has, you know, fulfilled his uh, 40 days of uh, of um, you know, where he didn't eat for 40 days, I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. And I had, and of course, Jesus answered back, you know, it's, 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 is it not written that God is not, I mean, that man does not live, I'm trying to hurry, on bread alone. And I read this ridiculous commentary in another Christian Bible, you know, I, I have never read this before in a commentary or a reference, should I say, where the reason Satan waited till the 40 days was over because he knew Jesus was going to be weak at that point. And, you know, I don't believe Jesus was weak at that point. I just, that's that's a side thing from everything else I was saying. I just thought, that is ridiculous to think he's weak. Maybe they had another point. But anyway, you know, if you belong to God, if you belong to Israel, God gives you something. God gives you a wife. God gives you a son. I mean, work never stops. But uh, you have to fight for it still, even though it came from God. But I'll let you run and uh, have a good time up Thank there. Thank you, Harold. Appreciate it very, very much. You know, All a couple right. of things I want you. Yeah, a couple of things, Harold. I want you to think about is, is Jesus didn't eat or drink water for forty days. I think we'd all be weak if we didn't eat or drink water for forty days. So yeah, Jesus was physically weak. And here's what we always have to remember, that physically Jesus was a man. He was in a flesh and blood body, and we need food, and we need water. And and he was at his weakest point, and the devil came to him. I always say that the, the devil is a coward. He waits until we're in that vulnerable place, and Jesus physically was in that place. Now, spiritually, you're right. Jesus had no sin nature. That's why when when uh, this hungry Jesus was met by the devil and said, look, if you're the son of God, you can tell these these stones. If you look out over Israel and you see rocks, little rocks coming out of the out of the, the, the dirt and, and they look from a distance like little loaves of bread, turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. You might as well eat. Why, why are you here suffering? Why are you denying yourself? Um, well, that's a question that we get asked all the time by the enemy. It's a question that we ask of God. Well, why are things so hard? And it's because the devil always wants us to take a shortcut. So, Harold, we're weak. That's for sure. Jesus was weak physically, but he wasn't weak spiritually. And he responded, it is written on three times. Jesus tempted just like we are. The The difference is Jesus was not tempted to depart from his father. He was presented the temptation and he was able to dismiss it. So I hope that helps you. Thank you very, very much. The, the truth is we're going to be fighting the enemy until the end of time. Let's go to line one. We've got Al holding on line one from San Antonio. Al, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Al, are you there? 
Hi, Al. Good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, I have a quick question. Um, is there a blessing for children that parents can give to children in the Bible? Um, yeah, there is. Go to First uh, Samuel um, as as Hannah is um, praying for. Uh, the child that she wants to to bear, we know that's Samuel, but um, um, you know she dedicates that baby to the Lord, and that's really the blessing. You know, a blessing requires our participation. Babies can't really um, participate, but as a parent, um, we can we can pray blessings on our children over and over and over, and we ought to do so every day. And certainly in our own prayers, uh, we can ask the Lord's protection and blessing. Um, uh, Numbers chapter 6, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Um, but but remember, the, the, the greatest blessing, Al, that your child has been given is his mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, whatever the case might be. So that's the greatest blessing that your children can have, a mom and a dad that loves Jesus, a mom and a dad that's going to talk to their child about Jesus and model or demonstrate who Jesus really is. If we really understand that, then we don't have to worry about blessings. And it's not like having a lucky rabbit's foot or some incantation. It's just, we're, we're going to bless this child every day. That, Al, is the very reason that we dedicate babies rather than baptize them. When we dedicate babies uh, at the church, we're, we're really dedicating not just the child to the Lord's care, but we're dedicating the parents who are the Lord's instruments in childcare, and in our case, at our church, we we dedicate the church body and the family and friends who love Jesus as well. That we will all come alongside and be there with them day in and day out. So that's um, the short answer to your question, Al. I run out of time, so I don't have any more. Thank you for calling. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You have been listening to. The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Matt Blanton teaching tonight at 7 o'clock at Calvary Chapel. I'll see you on Monday at AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.